So hello, um, and welcome to Physician Spotlight. Uh, my name is Carolyn Newberry, and I'll be serving as your host today. I'm here today with Dr. David Sears, who's the Director of the Medical Nutrition Program and an Associate Professor of Medicine in the Institute of Human Nutrition at Columbia University Medical Center in New York City. I'm very excited to speak with him today about his experiences in nutrition during this Physician Spotlight interview. Um, Dr. Sears, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I wanted to start out by having you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I've been a nutrition support clinician for about 30 years now. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work in a place that supports me uh, solely doing nutrition support consulting. Uh, we have a, a, a busy inpatient service and a fellowship, one of the few in the country. Uh, in addition to the clinical work, I, I, I do some clinical research and uh, I do a lot of teaching and I'm also um, very honored to be the section editor for nutrition at UpToDate. That's great. And it sounds like you have your hand in a lot of different baskets in the nutrition space. Um, I was wondering at what point did you decide nutrition was going to be a part of your career? Was this something early on or developed later? I, I entered medicine in a time where there were a lot of alternative practitioners in my family's life, and I was influenced uh, to think about medicine uh, in a more preventive way and found very quickly that preventive medicine wasn't really um, a mature uh, and viable sole uh, uh, focus for, for a physician in practice and also fell in love with hospital medicine. And when someone pointed out the uh, relationship between nutrition markers and outcomes, I was, in, I was intrigued. Uh, found somebody who was actually doing nutrition support consulting and uh, realized that this would be a, a, a path for me. Of interest, uh, the reasons for my wanting to be in nutrition uh, haven't really changed, but they were sort of wrong in that we have now understood much more how nutrition markers are really more markers for severity of illness and inflammation and how nourishment is not necessarily going to affect those. Uh, but I'm still, after 30 years in the business of preventing starvation, which can't be helpful over the long term. Right, absolutely. And, you know, you've been, it sounds like this has been such an essential part of your career for, for so many years. Um, how do you think the practice has changed over that time period? I mean, that's a, that's a long time period to practice clinical nutrition. There are so many things that have changed from how we uh, prescribe calories and protein to uh, different uh, technologies and, and techniques that are available. Um, the thing that hasn't really changed is that the field is really um, lacking to a great degree in randomized control trial data for telling us exactly how to do what we need to do for each individual. Um, there isn't any controversy uh, that people do less well if they're not fed well for long periods of time, but Beyond that, there are a number of questions left unanswered. Um, but we do have answers to a number of things that have been really daunting 
uh, over my whole career, things like the timing of uh, when we should start parental nutrition, things like that. Um, still to come, I think, are, are better data on things like whether or not early feeding has a powerful impact or just a small one um, and, and so forth. Um, I think one of the biggest changes in, in our practice, though, is our understanding that a lot of what we were trying to treat was actually due to inflammation. And now we're focused more on starvation rather than trying to uh, affect um, what are really things that are due to the underlying illness that are not responsive to nutrition, and at least acknowledging that and trying to piece out and, 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 and really understand different phenotypes of, of disease so that we know exactly where to best target our, our, our interventions. Yeah, I mean, agreed that personalized nutrition definitely is on the forefront of research right now, and we're excited to see where it goes. Um, you know, I'm always interested, you know, when I speak with physicians, particularly that have been in the space for a long time, um, what do you think the biggest barriers have been to become, you know, this prolific clinical person in the, in the nutrition world? Um, where, what things surprised you sort of as you built your career? Well, the, the inflammation issue was a big one. I, I left fellowship convinced that I was going to stamp out all of hospital malnutrition with, with, with nourishment. And I was really convinced that what I needed to do was convince all of my colleagues to put every single patient in the hospital on some form of parenteral nutrition. And had I done that, it would have been really quite disastrous had I been successful, because we know now that the complications are, are not inconsequential. Um, but fortunately, after a couple of years in practice, just starting to get my feet wet, um, I, I, uh, I met some folks who set me straight as far as what the data supported and have uh, since then uh, really changed how I approach things from a from uh, the perspective of what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a lot of um, interesting topics that I think, particularly us more junior in the space sort of need to think about as we move our practices forward. Um, I know you're also very involved in uh, physician education in nutrition, and I'd love to hear more about the program that you uh, direct. So we have one of the few fellowships in nutrition in the country. There are only about a dozen uh, last I saw. Uh, and we focus on training uh, people at the fellowship level, meaning that they finished a residency um, on uh, how to take care of uh, the medical nutrition issues. We work very closely with the dietitians and help manage uh, all of the patients on parenteral nutrition and the patients who are complex and have also a need to be fed. Um, our philosophy is that complex patients do best with multidisciplinary care. So when patients are in the hospital for more than a couple of weeks, especially in the ICUs, we will um, uh, make a uh, sort of a screening visit, uh, not to do nutrition screening, but to make sure that in between the, the nutritionist's visits, uh, that the patient isn't falling through the cracks and that, is make, is, that the feeding is going appropriately. Um, in our ICUs, I think everybody knows this, should know this, 
Um, patients on average only receive about 45% of the calories prescribed to them. And we're trying to impact that uh, by following up with these patients so that we, uh, between us and the, uh, the nutritionists, the, we're um, seeing the patients more frequently. Um, those are the kinds of things that uh, we do and that the fellow is learning about. So yes, I mean, it sounds like it's a really great opportunity then for physicians who are interested in nutrition to get more clinical experience in a hospital setting, particularly a large hospital setting like you have in New York uh, at Columbia. Um, you know, you have alluded a couple of times to older mentors um, putting you on the right path and sort of uh, reviewing the research with you. Um, do you have any particular mentors that you identify as instrumental in your career? There have been a number of people that the most important in terms of setting me straight in terms of my thinking have been Ron Koretz and Tim Lipman. Uh, Ron and Tim are, are somewhat unpopular in nutrition because they uh, have pointed out the, the weakness in the evidence. It doesn't mean that the studies weren't done well, but that the, the evidence is weak because it's observational. And observational research, for instance, that which says that people who are not as well fed do worse in hospitals uh, is at risk for bias. And it's really, it, you can't derive cause and effect from it. But anyway, I was sitting and having uh, lunch with the two of them uh, a couple of years into my practice, convinced that I was going to wipe out hospital malnutrition with PN. And Ron looks over at me and he says, you know, there's no evidence for that. And that was life-changing because I really thought that there was having been uh, gone through a, having gone through a fellowship myself, uh, and and uh, and hearing the uh, the enthusiasm for feeding parenterally, um, other people. Kelly Tappenden has has been a good friend and always encouraged me. Uh, it was not really until halfway through my career that uh, I, I was able to get myself into research, and and she was always very. Uh, a, a good touchstone for me. Um, I, many that I could name, um, and they're, they're people that uh, I have been prominent in Aspen and have really influenced the field quite a bit. Um, and it's really, uh, this is the thing that has been so valuable for me about my, my involvement with Aspen is, the, um, uh, is finding mentors and friends, uh, people that I can bounce ideas off of, uh, uh, talk about the latest and, and, and maybe not so greatest uh, in, in nutrition research and, and so forth. So I think that's a nice segue on how Aspen has helped shape your career. And I'd love to hear more about how you think uh, both trainees and junior faculty can use Aspen to build their own careers. Aspen's a great environment for developing relationships and, and your own sort of presence in the field. Um, and all you have to do is say yes. Uh, even, even if you're in training and you go to the Aspen staff and say, you know, I have an interest in volunteering or being part of, or if there, is there anything, any way that I can uh, contribute? Um, they'll, you will instantly be on their radar and, and be uh, recommended for committees and so forth. Um, if you have a specific interest, let them know. Um, and, and then also the regional uh, 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 Aspen uh, groups, uh, that also is often a place where there are uh, opportunities for service. And in service, uh, really you develop um, 
a reputation and, and the ability to influence. Um, and for me, that has been incredibly meaningful. Uh, I think I have been on the safe practices for parental nutrition committee for about 20 years now, um, and uh, at least on and off. And uh, it's given me opportunities to publish and to to uh, you know once you've once you've got a couple things on your CV, you just have more credibility, and it's easier then to uh, to get out there and uh, and influence and make noise. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had the same, a similar experience much earlier in, you know, my career that I am, that I think Aspen has a lot of great resources for members, including these physician um, spotlight interviews where we can learn more from sort of the leaders in the field. Um, you know, this is near the end of our interview. I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to add uh, to impart more wisdom onto our listeners. I would advise any of the uh, the people earlier in their career to find a mentor, and you will find that just don't be shy. Come up to somebody with gray hair and ask them uh, for advice, and you'll probably have a friend forever. Also, be really critical of the quality of the research on which you base your conclusions, and try and dig into the quality of the research where that that those of us who are older and more senior uh, are basing their conclusions, there's a real problem with credibility of science right now. And uh, I'll, I'll wax philosophical a little bit right now, but I, it is my opinion that we scientists have been a good part of that problem uh, in not being able to manage our messaging well. And to my mind, the ability to attack science actually now equates to credibility. Uh, in other words, all I have to say is, you know, try, do this supplement because the scientists are lying to you and all of a sudden my supplement will sell. Uh, and uh, in fact, I, I, I watched science be uh, attacked um, very successfully over the past year or so. And I believe that many hundreds of thousands of lives were lost because people did not want to believe in the science of masking and vaccination. And that to me is a real problem. And the way to fix that is to be more transparent in the quality. It's, it's okay to say we don't know. And it's particularly important to as we message, especially out to the to the broader community outside of the scientific and clinical uh, community, it's really important to message clearly uh, about how we know or believe we know what we think we know, because my experience is that anytime a new dietary guideline comes out, and I mentioned it to somebody, universally the response is that they roll their eyes at me and then ask if eggs are in or out this time. And we really need to fix that. And, and I know that there are efforts uh, to uh, improve the credibility of science. Um, I think that the way toward that is through funding very expensive uh, randomized trials. And uh, hopefully with some of the changes that are happening with the, uh, at the National Institute of Health, with the, uh, the Institute of Nutrition that's being developed, that those opportunities will present themselves. Yes, I mean, I think that's a great 
topic and great point to, to end this interview on that, you know, hopefully we can be that intersection, you know, as medical providers between the patients and, you know, the science and understanding how to message that properly. And I think Aspen is, is equally interested in that question. So I wanted to thank you so much for sitting down and, and uh, speaking with our viewers. And we are very excited to have spoken to Dr. David Sears here on this Physician Spotlight interview. Uh, we will see you guys next month. Thank you. Thank you.